0: Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Strategy International podcast. This is the podcast produced for Strategy International, a global think tank and consulting firm that brings together great minds from all over the world to discuss, analyze, and collaborate on matters of global interest, such as international politics and policy, security and defense, the economy, the environment, and much, much more. I strongly encourage you to visit strategyinternational.org where you can get more informed on all the wonderful things happening over at Strategy International, as well as the entire back catalog of all these wonderful productions. Speaking of great minds, we have another great guest today on the show. And as you can uh, notice, this is a different setup because for the first time ever, this guest is actually in studio, a good friend of mine, uh, Rudy Husney, who was a former political advisor uh, over at the Canadian government, and he's a current. Uh, currently, he works as a media analyst on various media um, all across the uh, the country. Uh, Rudy, thank you, thank you so much for uh, for doing this. We've been we've been trying uh, to to do this for quite some time. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you uh, that you took time from your. Extremely busy schedule uh, to be here, man.
1: Now, thank you, George, and uh, it's a pleasure being here. Um, what
0: we what we're gonna do today? Um, we wanna do an episode that focuses primarily on Canada. Um, we're not gonna go obviously through the throughout the whole history of Canada, but we um, we have noticed that in the last couple of months, maybe years um there's been quite some negative press around canada whether it's domestic or international and we thought bringing a, a guy that has the knowledge uh, and the experience uh, to discuss why this is happening um the the different trends um, around Canada and, uh, just to give uh, the listeners and the viewers, uh, more of a global portrait of, uh, what's been happening in Canada before we get there though, let's just, you know, you and me talk because we, we, we go back uh, a little bit. We, I, I don't remember how long ago it was, but I do remember meeting you quite some time ago, uh, and it may have been during a political event. I don't remember. Um, and, and it's funny, given all the circumstances now with what's going on in Israel, I think the first time I met you, we were at the action party that is um, this huge event that is organized by the Canadian Jewish Political Affairs Committee here in uh, in Montreal. And uh, I think you were probably accompanying your boss at the time, uh, Minister of Industry, uh, Federal Minister of Industry. I was probably accompanying my boss. Uh, international Trade. International Trade, sorry.
1: Um Yeah, and I'm sure we met at a few uh, Greeks
0: uh, parade in in Montreal also. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So there's a a bit of a history there. Uh, Just to introduce you to the world, um, how did this all start with you? How did you get involved in politics? Why did you do it? When did this happen? That whole interest, how, how does that happen?
1: Yeah, look, I'm, uh, I'm trained as an accountant, but I always paid attention to, to politics, to history, and I decided that I wanted to become a candidate. I thought that the best way for me to really see, you know, if I had it in me, if I was able to, you know, go walk and, and, and talk to people and debate, you know, other politicians. So I decided to go in a very tough riding in, in Montreal, which is called Outremont, which at the time was uh, Thomas Mochaire, was the, um, the NDP from the NDP, was the current MP there. And he's known as one of the best debater in French and in English. He's completely bilingual. So I decided I had some roots, obviously, in Outremont. But I decided that I would start by, you know, becoming a candidate. And I said to myself, look, As a current MP, he needs to at least give me one debate. That's, you know, the rule. Normally, there's always a local debate. And I said, that will be, you know, my test. If I'm able to hold the line and, you know, see what's his message and trying to, you know, being able to to see if I'm a good debater. And what happened is that not only that we did, one debate. I think we did seven, eight, or close to ten because uh, the party, the Conservative Party, told me, "Look, you did great. Wherever Thomas Mulcair goes, you go." Mm-hmm. So for a whole thirty-five days of the campaign, or forty days of the campaign, I was, you know, I was like, uh, I was like his shadow in every TV or or, or radio show or debates. And after that, um, the Conservative Party said, look, what's your training? And I say, I'm an accountant, graduated from business school. And they say, you have a French accent. And I say, yes, I studied in Europe. And they say, perfect. We uh, we are negotiating the Canada-EU trade agreement, and you should come and become a political staffer. And as you know, Europe, that will be perfect. So I was put on the Canada-EU trade agreement uh, negotiations. Did that for four years under Minister Ed Fast, who was the Minister of International Trade, and you know from 2011 to 2015, it was a majority government of the of the Harper government, and we did a lot more. We did Canada EU, we did Canada Korea. Uh, South Korea trade agreement it was also the trans-pacific partnership mm-hmm. so it was a it was a great moment I was very lucky uh, it was a, a good timing and uh, that's that's my experience in, in politics and in government uh,
0: we should also mention that in the last uh, leadership uh, uh, sorry the, the the previous leadership race the one right before the 2021 elections you had also uh, found the courage to uh, present yourself as a, as a leader uh, uh, in the leadership race of the Conservative Party of Canada. Of course, COVID happened and, you know, it came and uh, and disrupted a lot of people's plans, uh, yours as well, I imagine, and um, that didn't work out. But uh, ever since that leadership race, and more specifically the the, the, the following one in 2021-22, in You've had a significant presence in all these media, and I've been following you, and it's quite spectacular. Especially when you know someone and you see them a little, you know, progress, and to see them uh, grow in whatever environment, uh, it's been it's been very refreshing. And you know, we were talking about this before we recorded that there isn't that many conservative voices commenting on mainstream uh, media, and if there are, they were probably in a very long time ago, and they've kind of been immersed more and more into like this media kind of mentality so um they 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 figure out a way to 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 kind of you know hold that objective line uh and it's it's refreshing to have this point of view not because i share the conservative ideology but just because it's good to, to see especially in mainstream media which is um uh highly debated right now especially in canada um to have these different uh, points of views and and, and these voices?
1: Yeah, look, you you mentioned I I, I did run for leadership of the Conservative Party. Uh, My goal was that the Conservative Party of Canada cannot call himself itself, a national party, if we didn't have a Quebecer in the race. And that mm-hmm. what happened. It was under Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay. And I just said, look, if we need to, as you know, in Quebec, Conservative, we don't have a, a good uh, um, track record when it comes to having seats in Quebec. The, the maximum is we had 12 seats uh, out of 78 in, in 2015. So that's why I decided to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party, because I said, look, I need a Quebecer, we mm-hmm. need a Francophone in this race, at that time Peter McKay and Aaron O'Toole were not fully bilingual so I said how can we convey our message to all Canadians Mm -hmm. if we don't have at least one francophone in the race as you mentioned COVID hit and I I, I withdrew uh, uh, from from that race and yes uh, since then I've been trying to be a a political media analyst uh, a conservative one obviously because you know People are saying, you know, oh, I I don't believe in media anymore. They're skeptical about the media because they feel that their point of view sometimes is doesn't have the same space as others, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, I either I could start a YouTube channel in my basement, <laughs> or I say, look, I'll play the game, go in mainstream media, because I do think that otherwise, you know, it's if 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 not all points of view are debated, or at least you know people can say, okay, at least it's a balanced panel. Uh, I hope that it can help that people are not, you know, um, as I said, take a distance from from traditional media in mm-hmm. a way. I would
0: say, why do you think that the there's been this distance. Why do you think that over the last... Couple of years, probably even decades, I'd yeah, say. Yeah. The, the the conservative voice is missing from mainstream media. I'm not suggesting that there is no conservative no. voice because if you move more west into Canada, the media tends to you know bit, to 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 get a little bit more on the uh, on the right side of the spectrum, which is normal because it reflects pretty much the um, uh, the, the the electorate, which that's pretty much where the conservative party's base uh, comes out from. Um, but let's not also forget that there was a former prime minister of Canada in the eighties that won pretty much the entire uh, the entirety of uh, of but maybe not the entirety but he had the majority of the seats in Quebec. We're talking about Brian Mulroney um, uh, in the early eighties, um, all the way until the early nineties, I believe. Uh, and th- so there is a history over there of conservative support in Quebec. But why is it that that isn't reflected in mainstream media?
1: Yeah. Look, it's um, it's it's first of all, it's tough to be an it's uh, it's tough to be a conservative in media because you know normally uh, people are more center in the media. They don't want to have you know certain point of views and 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 also it's like. I feel like, especially in Quebec, if you are for the sovereignty of Quebec, it means like you have a heart in a way. Uh, If you're a socialist, it means you care about other people. But if you're a conservative or you come from the center-right spectrum, they feel that your point of view is not equal to them Mm -hmm. or in a way that, you know, you don't care about other people, you know, because we believe in smaller government, we believe, you know, in less intervention where some Conservative are more fiscal, other are more libertarian. So, in a way, it kind of the message is not the same. So, it's easy for for others to basically attack you by saying, oh, you 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 don't have the same level of solidarity than other parties, which is not true because the conservative views is that, look, we're not against, you know, redistribution of wealth and 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 and, and money, but we have to create it. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that to create, you know, we need business. That's why naturally we're pro-business in a way because we do believe that, you know, people need to pay taxes for for the and to pay taxes it means they need to make money mm-hmm. to after, you know, we can fund our social programs. So that's why it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit difficult. And, and, and that's why I believe in a way some people are just saying, look, my point of view is not represented. It's always like, oh, you should think one way and there's no other, you know, other point of views. And, and that's why people are saying, look, I'll stop, I'll stop listening to that because it's kind of, it's always sometimes the same views on certain topics and they cannot be challenged mm-hmm. in a
0: way. And we're going to talk a little bit about this labeling uh, that the conservative uh, party has received over the years uh, as we move forward into, you know, later on into strategy, because I do feel that, especially coming from the liberals, the conservatives have been painted, like you said, as people that either don't care about social issues or that don't care about different other um, uh, interests, uh, depending on the province. And we're going to get back to that when, uh, when we come. But Let's talk a little bit about Canada, and just to bring people up to speed on what's been happening and why there's been at least, I think, since the election of the current uh, conservative leader Pierre Poilievre, there's been uh, a series of just negative press um, uh, affecting the government, which is completely natural. I mean, there comes a point where you know there's fatigue, and there's more screw-ups, and there's more obstacles along the way, and there's more scrutiny uh, that affects the government. So naturally. Uh, this tends to happen it's very cyclical uh but normally when that happens it doesn't affect at least not canada uh at an international stage we, we we've seen these things and it, it has been cyclical but it's always domestic issues it's li- little different things that seem to just affect the the, the the population and the government but this time around it's not only international but it's also at an embarrassing level so we're going to get to that but before we get to that let's just Set the table, um, put everything in context. 2015, Justin Trudeau gets elected. This is a young guy, a good-looking guy, a popular person, the son, obviously, of a former prime minister, uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Uh, This is also the guy that, truthfully, he brought back his party from nearly... Destruction. I mean, uh, the, the, the fact is that the early 2000s were destructive for the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, a lot of members had lost their trust. They were, there was a whole ish, a situation with the sponsorship scandals. In any case, we're not going to get there. But one good thing that we have to give Justin Trudeau is that he completely revived his party in terms of branding, in terms of anything you want to call it, money, uh, members. Uh, everything seemed to be going well. Here he comes in 2015, gets elected, and I'll give you one quote And this has been, in my opinion, uh, a a highly published quote from Justin Trudeau. Uh, In his inaugural uh, speech when he gained the control of government, he said, Canada is back. As if to suggest that before that, the conservatives had dug Canada into some hole. In any case, they they gave him the benefit of the doubt. Oh, okay, cool. Canada is back. Yay, Justin Trudeau. Uh, He served pretty high for a long time justin trudeau I, and honestly i think it's just the last couple of years where it's been really troubling so uh you know we're just going to go because uh, into some of these things both domestically and foreign so that the people listening and that are uh, watching can somewhat understand where things went wrong and why um and, and i'm going to start with the public finances because i think that's pretty much the main issue that has Uh, you know, worried a lot of the population. And as I was thinking about what we're going to discuss and, you know, this Canada is back, uh, I remember Justin Trudeau, uh, in 2015, in that election, very specifically saying that he was going to run very mild Good. deficits and bring back uh, the the books to uh, balance the books again for the, the upcoming election in 2019. I believe, unless I'm wrong, that was the first and only time the word balanced budget actually came out of Justin Trudeau's mouth. And in 2019, I think if I'm not mistaken, we were in the negative by 80 billion or 70 billion somewhere uh, in, the, in that realm. Um, and, and, and it's quite fascinating because at that same exact time in 2014, so a year before him, over at the provincial level in Quebec, we had gained uh, government, uh, we had gained power. And I remember that strategy was the complete opposite of Justin Trudeau's. I remember back in the day, the Premier of Quebec, Philippe Couillard, had specifically ran a campaign on fiscal prudence and uh, and, uh, limiting government spending so that we can get Quebec's credit score uh, uh, improved. And in fact, those four years of that provincial mandate was record numbers in Quebec's recent history with four consecutive surplus budgets, um, a record number of investments, employment was at a record low. For the first time ever, Quebec had a better economy than Ontario. They were borrowing money at much better interest rates. Things were going well for Quebec. And I remember specifically in 2015, Justin Trudeau gets elected and in a scrum meeting at the parliament, they asked him to comment on Quebec's fiscal uh, policy. And I'll never forget this. I was in my office where I was watching the TV and they're questioning Justin Judo. And he criticized Quebec for that approach. And he said, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to uh, indebt our people like certain provinces have been doing, et cetera, et cetera. And four years later, when you saw the results that came out of Quebec versus the negative results that came out of Ottawa, it was a stark contrast on how things worked out for Quebec and how things did not work out for Justin Trudeau.
1: Yeah, look, it's it's very interesting because, as, as you just said, in 2015, the Harper government had balanced the book. That was one of the biggest commitment of Stephen Harper. He said, we will balance the budget, and, and, and he did. And in that election, if you recall, Thomas Mulcair, who was the leader of the NDP, for the, and he was the official opposition, mm-hmm. did also propose a balanced budget, which never happened for the NDP, yeah. right? The NDP are the socialists, yeah. you know, they never proposed a balanced budget, but he did. And Justin Trudeau and the Liberals in that election, they did propose a deficit. Mm-hmm. And as you, you rightly said, modest deficit, that's the, the term he used. And that was like a big contrast, you know, from the Conservative to the Liberals and also the NDP. And But don't forget that... In the Liberal Party of Canada, there's a history of also balancing the budget from Jean Chrétien Mm -hmm. when he was prime minister, from Paul Martin when he was its finance minister, but also as, as prime minister. So he basically, Justin Trudeau, changed a little bit the DNA of the Liberal Party. Because if you look at the Liberal Party today and the previous Liberal Party on the Jean Chrétien, they don't have the same vision Two when complete, it comes To completely different parties. Especially on the economy mm-hmm. because they don't see, for example, balancing the budget as a priority. Mm-hmm. And in a way, I think that the liberals or Justin Trudeau, in a way, they decided to, to take that gamble and say, look... Forget the blue liberals, as we call them, you know, the liberals who believe in balanced budget like John Manley and others like that. And let's just go and try to go more to people who are more on the the left side and maybe eat some of the NDP um, voters. And that's exactly what he did. But now we're in a situation is that technically the the economy is like when the economy is doing well you shouldn't be doing deficits mm-hmm. but he was doing deficits even when the economy was doing well that's what i'm talking about 2015 2016 2017 before the crisis and before covid but now everybody and i think that's what you know it's part of the the problem that he's having right now in terms of credibility it's because yes the government had to borrow a lot of money during covid it was normal the debt has you know doubled uh, you know during during covid but the, the the he doesn't have a leg to stand on because he was saying look when the economy was doing well you were doing a deficit now the economy is not doing well and you you're doing a deficit mm-hmm. so there's no way you know you don't have any logic because you're always spending more and i think that's now it explains why the Liberal Party and the Trudeau government, they have a credibility problem when it comes to the economy. Because when you look at the contrast, people do trust conservatives when it comes to the economy. It's the bread and butter of the conservative to say, look, trust us on the economy. I know there's other issues people or Canadians don't trust the conservative, but when it comes to the economy, they do. And look, when you look at what's happening right now when it comes to inflation, when it comes of a possible recession, and all the economic indicators are in the red, And that's not that's not a good news. And that's why I also believe that, yes, the conservative are very high in the polls right now. But I would say that it's more because the liberals are not managing the economy well. And now the priority of Canadians is the economy. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's reflected in the polls.
0: You know, for the people listening or watching that aren't very much uh, familiar with, you know, the political tradition and history in Canada, and I'm going to probably go out on a limb to say this, but I I do think that it's a fair statement to say that, and as far back as I can remember, uh, since I've been following politics, whether it's been the liberals or conservatives in power, irrespective of people's ideology, there was always this sentiment that whoever was in power was going to take care of us there was always this um this overarching kind of belief that regardless of the party there is always sound uh governance uh whether it's the conservatives or the or, or the liberals and i feel that that trust in sound governance has diminished significantly at least in the last couple of years where you're mentioning that yes the, the given all these metrics that we're seeing there's been this loss of credibility uh, and and I feel and I've never seen this you know he he, he does all these public appearances and, and we look at the crowd and there's a lot of hatred which we've never seen before people are a lot more um, uh, animated uh, and we see things that I have never experienced and I've been around politics for quite a while and it's normal to see certain people demonstrate and that was always natural and normal, but not to the extent where it is now. And a lot of people are blaming that situation. But when you look at the flip side of the coin, there's something that must have triggered hundreds, if not thousands of people to react this way publicly against a leader, which never was the case before. Uh, and I think that there's this fear of uh, uh, of being governed by uh, a party or a leader where this concept of maintaining a sound governance is lost completely.
1: Yeah, I think I think the problem I think is hope. I think that right now Canadians, Quebecers and Canadians they you know there was kind of an unwritten rule which is you work, you study hard, you work hard, you get a job, you can buy a house, you know, you will live better than your parents. You know, that there yeah. was always this hope. You know, I, I know we talk a lot about the American dream, but there's also a Canadian dream, which is, you know, you work hard, you play by the rule, you pay your taxes, you can afford a home, you can have a family, and, you know, you will you will have a good retirement, and we have social programs that will help you when it comes to healthcare and, mm-hmm. and other things. But right now, I think that it's broken in a way just because you feel that you're not going to live as good as your parents because you can't afford the kind of house Mm. you know that your parents could afford 20 or 30 years ago or one generation ago and i do feel that people that's the general feeling that people are saying look what happened because we are still doing the same thing we work more we work hard you know we and we are trying to make a living but you know, we cannot meet, uh, we cannot meet uh, ends meet. And and I think that's why people are reacting more by saying what's happened in Ottawa, what's happening in the government or more what happened to Canada. If, you know, your most basic stuff, which is your basic need, which is afford a home, mm-hmm. you know, the, the home crisis is so huge now and the yeah. prices has double, tripled and and so on and so forth that, that's, I feel that's part of, of, of the main criticism of the current government or just the general situation is the lack of hope and the fact that the new generation, yes, unemployed, uh, unemployment is very low. that you know that's a contrast from the 90s, for mm-hmm. example. But at the same time, even if people have uh, a job, they cannot afford a home right. and that's I think that's the, the main issue and when people are, are being more polarized in the society or feel more rejected mm-hmm. or are being more angry by saying look I did everything wrong I, I did everything right but I cannot afford a home.
0: Right. See we're, we're going to get to certain issues that have brought this negative press uh, obviously at an international level but there's also domestic issues that have highlighted Canada on the world stage. Uh, the public finance I don't think anybody really cares or looks at what's happening in you know, Canada in terms of of public finances um the inflation of course has hit everywhere so obviously naturally it's hitting canada as well but there were a few things that happened under, gov- uh, under under the the liberal government uh and that are still actually ongoing that have uh found a place in international media uh one of which is the the, the two bills c11 c18 we can maybe explain to people what these are because Uh, There's a lot of worry in Canada and even abroad. It has been brought to to question in certain foreign media uh, about, uh, you know, the individual rights and freedoms that Canada so proudly boasted since forever. Uh, And now they feel that that has come to question. Uh, And obviously, you know, COVID, it it was a difficult time for, I think, every single country. But specifically over here the trucker rally made rounds all over the world uh, and um, it had people questioning "What is that really happening in Canada? Not the fact that they're demonstrating demonstrations happen all the time but the fact that they were so hard on people that were out demonstrating uh, bank accounts were seized um, I I mean stuff that you would never imagine happening in Canada.
1: Yeah but yes I think you're totally right in terms of the bad press that Canada received because of the, the convoy and not on the roots of the convoy but on the fact that how come the police the city of Ottawa the king government the RCMP they were prepared they were not prepared yeah. how can truckers all of a sudden just like you know close off a city without nobody.
0: And it's not like from one to the next, they appeared in Ottawa. No, they no. drove from across the country. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, took <laughs> two,
1: it took two weeks for them to drive certain from BC to yeah, yeah. To, to Ottawa. And all of a sudden you're like, it's, it, it was just the chaos and the embarrassment of all the agencies not being able to talk to each other yeah. and the municipality and the police and the provincial police and the federal government and all those agencies it was a major screw-up in terms of how come you cannot block, you know, you, you, how can trucks could block the capital of the country mm-hmm. and second of all, how, how you couldn't manage it and it stayed for for, for as long as it, as it did. So I think that that was just total chaos just in terms of an embarrassment of Canada saying, how come you couldn't manage that, that protest? Because Look, in France, they have protests all the time. Yeah. You know, it's it's part of their DNA. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we have one in Ottawa, and they cannot manage it. And yeah. and Ottawa is the capital. Like, yeah. if there's a place you go to protest, is Ottawa. So if there's a city where they should be prepared for, for protests, yeah. it's supposed to be the capital.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, I, I I always had I was always a little bit ambivalent with that whole thing because I get the the the, the fact that they're uh, frustrated that there's t- you know they're tired. Everyone was kind of frustrated with COVID and all these measures that were put in place um but at the same time having been in politics having worked in politics i completely understand the the, this need that people have and they should have to demonstrate their discontent uh and and they should be able to do that uh at the same time i have a lot of friends uh, that live in ottawa i it was frustrating to have You know, hundreds of trucks just constantly honking their horns. Uh, Businesses couldn't function. They had to close. It's frustrating. I get it. Um, So I I was kind of a little bit on the fence with that. But all this to say that they were in their right to demonstrate. Uh, And uh, I know that they were painted as violent. I wasn't there physically myself. The only image that I saw that was considered as violence was Someone putting a Canadian flag around the statue of Terry Fox, I think, and they said that, you know, look at them, they're violent and they're desecrating uh, uh, statues. And and, I mean, to me, that was a little exaggerated, but all this to say that to go from that event to blocking bank accounts, uh, that, that I never thought I'd see in Canada.
1: Yeah. And the fact that just that they had to use the, the, the law. Uh, uh, in, yeah. In uh, addition. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, this the, law, the emergency, yeah, act, the yeah. emergency uh, uh, act, which like, yes, I mean, there was a commission and yes, the government was justified. The judge ruled on that, that the government was justified to use the, the emergency act in this case, but how can it happen? That's the whole thing. And, mm. and, 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 Forget about if the the, the, the the truckers were right or wrong. It doesn't matter anymore. But I just think that that was one of the the, the symbol of a failure of government. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Trudeau brand, in a way, uh, got very hurt on mm-hmm. that moment. And it's not because of the, the the truckers itself. It's just the mismanagement of that crisis. Yeah. I yeah. think that if you look at the big picture, especially now with a little bit of, you know, you, you can have a little bit more perspective. It's just that how come there were no leadership? How come there were no coordination? nation, how, how, how they lasted so long. That's the thing. Because it's not the crisis itself. Protest happens all the time. I think it's just that how long it lasted.
0: L- let's talk a little bit about these two bills that seem to yes, have made yes. a lot of noise internationally. C-11, C-18. Um, C-11 initially was... Uh, was presented uh, uh, as, a, as a law, as a bill to um, uh, to regulate large uh, streaming platforms. And then C18 was basically uh, in support of, m- of the media to kind of regulate the big players like Google and Facebook. Uh, and they've both turned uh, things upside down.
1: Yes. And I think the biggest problem is that on principle... Everybody agrees that, you know, the Facebook, the Googles and all the the, the web giant, they need to pay their fair share. That's everybody agrees. But I think that the problem that the government is that normally, and that's from my experience in, in, in international trade and in foreign affairs, you don't do it alone. If you want to regulate, if you want to make sure that you put pressure on the Google, on the Facebook, on the Twitter, and all of that, you, it needs to be multilateral. You need to have allies. Thinking that Canada alone is going to fight you know, against Facebook or, or Meta or Google, and they're going to win, I mean, I've read the Bible, okay, yes, David against Goliath, but when it comes to international relations, it doesn't work that way. So I think that the government is now realizing that having principle is good, but... Principle is only good if you have allies around you. It should have been done with the European Union. It should be done in consultation with the U.S. Uh, I know there's always the example of Australia who were able to, you know, to, to have a, a, a deal, but it was a one-time thing that happened with Australia, and I don't think that Canada was in the right space and the right moment and had enough uh, uh, allies to make uh, to, to fight against the, the the web giant, and I think that now, you know, we're not we're losing in a way this battle because we are we cannot post any media any news article even our own content I mean I, I'm a columnist for le devoir in, mm-hmm. in, in 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 Quebec and I cannot share my own content yeah. I'm the author yeah. I'm the author I'm not yeah. a, even asking for like money back yeah. I just want to share my my yeah. my column that I wrote myself yeah. and I can't on on on, on Facebook and, and on Instagram so I think that the government is is realizing that I don't know if it's gonna get resolved and also at the same time there's another The bill, or there's another project which is to tax, you know, the giant Mm web giant, and 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 this one is being done, you know, internationally with the countries of the OECD and all of that, and some countries are now saying, you know, we're maybe we're going to postpone it for another year because we haven't reached a consensus, Uh, and the Canadian government made an announcement saying, no, we will continue to do it alone, even if other countries are not pursuing this, and the U.S. is saying, no, you cannot do it alone, you know, we have to do it together, and still the Canadian government is not learning is that you need allies and yeah. it needs to be done multilaterally so when it comes to c11 when it comes to CX, uh, C, c18 C and even when it comes to taxing web giant to make sure they pay their minimum even that canada think they can do it alone look uh, we are a soft power we like to call ourselves our soft power i don't think that uh, it's going to end well for canada if we don't follow other countries and and fight all together
0: What's going to happen, well, we're going to get to that later when we talk about the, the, the opposition and the polls showing the conservatives uh, in the lead, but let's just finish up on this, yeah. because the latest, I believe, embarrassment in Canada, and I think that made you know press everywhere in the world, was the fact that they brought a Nazi in parliament, they honored him, they applauded him, they gave him a standing ovation, um, and this happened uh, during the visit of uh, President Zelensky from Ukraine, um, and that was a complete mess, it was a complete mess.
1: Yeah and it's it's you know it's it's interesting we're both former political staffers and and I, I remember that uh, during election campaigns, uh, I've I've been told that foreign affairs is never a top issue. You know, whatever you did on the international scene, and mm. under the Harper government, for example, we did uh, a lot of free trade agreements, but it never paid off. You know, when it comes to a, an, an election. But I do believe that right now the Trudeau government is paying a price when it comes to failure on the international stage and on foreign affairs, as you said at the beginning of the the show. Trudeau Brennan himself as Canada is back, mm. you know, that Canada was going to be on the world stage. And, you know, under Prime Minister Harper, he did lost the seat at the se- Security Council, and Trudeau was Trudeau government was supposed to do better. Mm-hmm. The truth is, he did worse than yeah. what Harper, Harper did. There was also this story with Saudi Arabia. You remember that Minister Freeland, who was Minister of Foreign Affairs at the time, now she's Minister of Finance, you know, did a tweet to Saudi Arabia, and all of a sudden all the relationship between Canada and Saudi Arabia got you know got stopped Mm -hmm. and no countries were supporting Canada they all said look this is a matter between Canada and the Saudi Arabia why not taking sides Mm -hmm. so there was that tweet from uh, from Minister Finan at the time Uh, more generally I mean that's the problem when the the Trudeau government yes on terms of the ovation of of, of the Nazi that's a that's an embarrassment but also more generally when it comes to on world stage look what's happening with China you know the Trudeau government was very naive on China. And let's be very honest. I mean, first they say, oh, uh, we're going to do a free trade agreement with China. I know that file because under the Harper government, it was also a question should we do a free trade agreement with China? And the Harper government at the end with China di- discussed and said, no, we're not going to do a free trade agreement. You know why? Because to do a free trade agreement, you need to be at the same level. You need to trust each other. And there were no trust between Canada and China when it comes to... Uh, we were not at that level. Yeah. But the Trudeau government promised a free trade agreement. It was naive. And you know who rebuked it? China said, we're not going to do it. Yeah. And obviously... When it comes to Huawei, for example, it was the US uh, banned Huawei, Australia banned Huawei, UK banned Huawei. Canada was the last country to do so. Mm. So how can you go on the world stage and and say to your allies, you know, we're we're, we're playing in the same uh, in the same game, but you're not taking the same action? There was no trust also on the international trend because Canada was not, you know, being uh, truth when it comes to allies and also on the military spending and on NATO and on everything. I mean. I remember that under the Harper government, we announced that uh, we were gonna purchase the F-35, the Mm. fighter jets. And Trudeau said no. He came out against it, I remember. Yeah, he came out against it. And seven years later, what are we doing? We're buying the F-35. So how, how, how does the U.S. believe uh, us when it comes to security and, you know, when it comes to NORAD, for example? So I think that, you know, th- there's a lot of example of uh, the, 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 the foreign affairs or the, the, the policy when it comes to the Trudeau government on the international stage. It was a lot of virtue signaling mm-hmm. and, and there's a limit to virtue signaling. Because if you're not putting your money where your mouth is when it comes to military spending, or even I think that Canada under the Trudeau government is the lowest number of um, UN, uh, uh, Casque Bleu. uh, Yeah, the Blue Helmets. Yeah, the Blue Helmets it's the lowest, even under the Harper government. You know, they were saying, oh, the Harper government, we're going to change everything. So I think that on, ter- on terms of interna- international stage, uh, yes, Ukraine was an embarrassment in terms of having a Nazi when the president of Ukraine was in Ottawa and honoring a Nazi. But I think that it's more part of a lot a larger narrative when it comes to uh, uh, the Trudeau government on international stage. Because, look, there's China, we don't have good relationship. There's Saudi Arabia that we had problems for a few years. Uh, obviously, now the there's the crisis with India itself, and we can talk a little bit more mm-hmm. about it. We are not spending the money we should in terms of, of military and spending. We are not modernizing NORAD. And don't forget, Canada, we have the Arctic and this is going to be one of the main topic of the future because there's natural resources in the Arctic. There's uh, vessels now that are crossing uh, the, the, the in the Arctic. And how is Canada going to protect its sovereignty against Russia and China, for example, mm-hmm. if all of a sudden they come with a vessel and i think that nobody is paying attention to that and they should because that's also one of the main topic and and look i remember that under prime minister harper every year the prime minister used to go and uh, witness exercise military exercise in the canadian arctic just to show the world that you know we're taking that seriously unfortunately prime minister uh, trudeau stopped uh, traveling to the arctic to the Canadian arctic or just to be present for those military exercises, which you know sends also a, a strong signal that we take this issue seriously
0: yeah and there's another question mark because uh, uh, just recently yeah. the the government announced that it was cutting back on uh, i think a billion dollars from its uh, from its military yes. budget as well so uh, god knows how that's going to evolve up there but since we're talking about the international uh, flops uh There there, there were major agreements that were happening, like the Indo-Pacific Partnership, which Canada joined in at the very end. Uh, It was pretty much settled, I think, when Canada came in. Uh, There's the AUKUS agreement uh, between Australia, the UK, and the US that Canada is missing from. Uh, And yes, there's issues with India as well. uh, And uh, those, again, it's a a, a huge question mark because of domestic issues happening in Canada that have affected the relationship at an international level.
1: Yeah the TPP uh, I uh, I believe we joined at the same time as as Mexico okay. uh, it was under the Harper government ah. I believe it was in 2012 Okay okay and it got closed in 2015 it got settled actually it was settled during an election uh, it was the first time that Canada signed an agreement during an election okay, period okay, okay. but uh, just just to uh, just to uh, just to uh, correct the fact
0: yeah there you have it so th- there seems to be this absence of Canada at an international uh, stage and I was shocked when the AUKUS agreement happened. I was like, hold on a second. You have a, an agreement that's happening with partnered countries in the Pacific region, and you have the UK signing this, which has no access to the Pacific Ocean at all. Uh, and you're thinking, where is Canada in all of this?
1: Yeah, look, it's true. Even President Biden uh, made a new initiative uh, in in Asia, exactly, a, a new Asia-Pacific strategy itself. And also Canada is not part of it, hasn't been invited to it. So it's like people are forgetting that we have a Pacific coast, uh, coast, that we are a Pacific nation. Yes, look, ACUS, as I just mentioned, there's also the Quad, for example. Quad is uh, Japan, India, Australia, and the US, which is a security dialogue. Mm -hmm. Canada is not part of it. Mm -hmm. And now, right now, with what's happening with India, and I I just want to talk a little bit about that because, yes, I mean, Canadian government had to denounce what happened. I mean, we cannot tolerate, and that's blue or red government doesn't matter yeah. the political J- stripe J- just for the yeah. benefit of
0: people listening or yeah. watching there was uh, a Sikh Indian in British Columbia it's a it's a western Canadian province that was uh, murdered yeah. and there were there is intelligence that seems to point to the fact that the government the Indian of, the, the Indian government may have been directly involved in in, in this uh, in this murder
1: yes and and it was it was it was right for Canada to 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 denounce it and to to call it but I would say that it was done in a bad matter, and I'll explain why. Because normally in diplomacy, you leave yourself uh, open doors and way to escalate the problem. But when Prime Minister Trudeau himself made the announcement, and not the Minister of Public Safety, for example, or the Minister of Justice, you kind of basically go straight to the top, Who's the counterpart of Prime Minister Harper? It's the Prime Minister of India. Yeah, Trudeau? Yeah, uh, Yeah. sorry, Prime Minister Trudeau is the Prime Minister of India. So Mm. now there's no relationship. There cannot be any relationship. If it would have been dealt with the Minister of Public Safety, raising these concerns and making it public, after it leaves the door for the Minister of Foreign Affairs and the Prime Minister to continue a dialogue. Mm. But when it was escalated straight and its Prime Minister... Trudeau, who made the announcement, the question is why? Why did he made that announcement? Mm. I think it was a mistake. I think it it all happened because. Uh, you recall that we had a lot of problem with Chinese interference in Canada in the in the last few months in terms of uh, the Chinese government having agent in Canada uh, doing intimidation to MPs and all of that and this
0: goes back to the elections uh, to the 2019 election yeah, yeah.
1: 2019 2020, 2021 and also you know uh, obviously Canada stand when it comes to denouncing the Uyghur treatment in China mm. and all of that and the government and even the Prime Minister Trudeau said that he read th- that in the newspaper because it was it was the new global, uh, Globe and Mail and Global who, who broke the news. So I feel that they acted in a way, they say, oh, we cannot let it break in the, in the news. Uh, we need to ourselves make the announcement. But I think that now the reality is that he made the announcement. It should have been lower than a Prime Minister level announcement. Mm-hmm. And now we're also going to have a lot of repercussion when it comes to Canada-India relationship. You already see it. Uh, there's no more visas for Canadian to go to India. Uh, now there's more than 40 diplomats in uh, New Delhi that have been called back to Canada. That India say no more than I think 50 diplomats. Yeah. That you know, so it's going to. There's affect. even a
0: travel advisory yeah. for Indians that want to travel to Canada, which obviously makes no sense when you look at it from our side of the uh, of the spectrum. But it's but it just goes to show how uh, serious this uh, this conflict is between these two countries. And, and and again, I mentioned the fact you know we're
1: talking about the web giants. That you know, in international relationship and in foreign affairs, you need allies. There's no allies when it comes to you know this uh, mm-hmm. disagreement between Canada or this crisis between Canada and India because the US are saying yes, you know it's a, it's a it's important, but they're not you know calling on India to to, to do anything. Of or course even not. The I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a major U- partner. It's a yeah. major,
0: not only for Canada but for the entire world.
1: Yeah, because look. It All the countries have been courting or are courting right now. Uh, India, the EU, the UK, the US, especially Mm -hmm. what's happening uh, uh, in terms of the war between Ukraine and Russia. Because as you know, India is benefiting a lot from this war because they get cheap energy, cheap oil, cheap gas from Russia Mm -hmm. to fuel their economy right now. And that's where they're one of the most performing economy right now. you look at China, China doesn't have any growth anymore. Where is growth? There's India, and mm. everybody want to be part of it—the EU, the U.S., and the U.K. But now Canada is going to not be part of it because of that crisis. Not because on the fact that Canada shouldn't have denounced it. On the fact that it was denounced by the Prime Minister, which itself makes yeah. it very difficult to uh, to put uh, to 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 find uh, a solution or just to to uh, uh, find an end to this crisis. So
0: so so let's. Talk, uh, you know, we just went over all the the, the different things that have been having uh, happening in the last couple of years that have contributed to this negative media uh, towards the government. Obviously, that has had its impact in the polls. We're seeing the Conservative uh, Party right now completely destroying and they're leading, I think, over 40% uh, approval rating across Canada. Um, as, as an opposition, the role, and they struggled a little bit. They had two kind of interim leaders yes. since 2019. They seem to have found one leader that has uh, managed to really penetrate that uh, the, that armor that Justin Judo had uh, and uh, the, the, that seemed to protect the government for a long time. Um, how do you see this happening? Because not only is the Conservative Party doing well, but because the Conservative Party is doing so well, we're going back to what we were saying initially where the population now seems to have been greatly polarized between like there's there there seems to be that that middle ground that everyone kind of was sort of found in the past where you know what we said about you know there's always sound governance and you know irrespective of the ideology we know that we're in good hands it feels that that has completely disappeared and you either have to camp yourself all the way to the left with the liberal and the alliance with the ndp and we're going to talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about that or in what the liberals have painted or have labeled the conservatives as extremist right so i don't s- think that that's right necessarily but how do you see it uh, playing out from here on
1: yeah first of all i mean look you you know that the job of the opposition is is not to to win an election is for the government to lose and to make a desire for change. It's always it's always a desire for change. That's how a government uh, loses. That's why I'm saying it's not going to be the conservative winning, it's going to be the liberals losing. And right. It happened in 2015 the same way. People were not always voting for Justin Trudeau, they were voting against Stephen Harper, and in the past it happened also with Jean Chrétien and all the previous prime ministers. So the case that conservatives must do is a case for change that they cannot afford four more years that you know especially for example on the world stage do you want Justin Trudeau to represent Canada for another four years with all the embarrassment that we are experiencing so I think that's that's number one also I think that his brand now is not working anymore because Justin Trudeau has been I, I'm sure th- the Prime Minister of Canada with the most exposure in the world mm-hmm. but also in Canada and people after a certain time get tired of mm-hmm. that it's just it's just basic marketing yeah. right his brand I don't think that his brand now, especially with the economic crisis, especially with inflation, especially with housing, you know, people don't see him as the leader, I believe, that it is needed especially in this time of, of crisis and of geopolitics that is very very difficult so i think that you know in 2015 it was sunny ways you remember yes sunny, it was sunny ways and, and everything was going to be fixed and we were going to plant two billion trees and everybody <laughs> was clapping and 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 now we realize that you know i don't believe they they planted a hundred million trees yeah. out of the two billion so yeah. all of that is symptomatic of the, the branding that I don't believe uh, is, 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 is current to the Canadian expectations that they have, and they're just maybe just tired. I mean, after eight years, look, uh, John Manley, who's the former uh, vi- uh, uh, Minister of fin- Finance, you know, he said it's like the Jerry Seinfeld he said Jerry Ste- Seinfeld had nine seasons, mm. but after nine seasons, he said, "Look, I had enough. It's difficult. It's, it was a good, it was a good show, but I'm stopping." Mm. And he made the he made the statement by saying, "Look, when you look at all the previous prime ministers, Stephen Harper did nine years, uh, Jean Chrétien did ten years, Brian Mulroney did nine years or eight or nine years. You know, this after nine years, it's very difficult to yeah. to, to to continue to be in power. I don't believe that since the twenties, nineteen twenties, there's been a prime minister who's been able." to do for mandates. So yeah. that's why also. I think that the numbers are against him and just just the, the desire for change. I think that after eight or nine years, people just have a natural desire for change. Regardless of, of of political agenda or what's in the platform, they just say, look, it's it's time for you to go.
0: From a strategic point of view, however, uh, and this has been something that the, the Conservative Party has been criticized about, for wanting to create this big tent party where you have... Uh, progressive conservatives, where you have more social conservatives, and that kind of branch of the conservative party doesn't sit very well, especially in eastern Canada. Uh, and I think that has been uh, primarily the reason why the Liberals have been painting the Conservatives as extremists, right? And we know that every time elections come around, the the the, the topic of abortion sure. comes around, uh, and gay marriage, and yeah. all these things come you know surface up to to, to come up to the surface, and. I think, and I could be completely wrong, yeah. but the fact that Justin Trudeau has pulled his party a little bit more to the left with the the, the kind of the, this coalition that they have, or this um, this agreement that they have with the NDP, is there a possibility that he can dip into that? vote that more position to the left to counterbalance any additional vote that the conservatives might be able to go pick up. Is that sort of the strategy? Uh, I just want to pick your brain a little bit on how you see, let's say there was an election in a couple of months from now. Yeah. Given the, 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 this movement that has happened on the spectrum where I think that there's no more middle ground and there's left or sort of socialist versus what they paint as extremist. Um, And that keeps coming back every single election. It's like, is this what you want? You you want uh, people that support Nazis, right? Uh, We saw that. uh, uh, Unfortunately, now they can't use that argument because they're the ones that brought the Nazi in parliament. (laughs) So that argument is finished. But it feels as though that he has stretched so much to the left to create this contrast between what they've been labeling the conservatives to be. And I'm just thinking of it purely as, you know, from a strategical point of view, is it working? Is it going to work in favor of Justin Trudeau?
1: Look, that that's the key question because what's hurting the conservative right now? It's the American politics. It's what we see at the south of our border, and the liberals are always saying, you know, we don't want to import American politics mm. to Canada, mm. but they are doing it because what they do is to kind of put the same label labels that they are in the U.S. to Canada when it comes to abortion, when it comes to LGBTQ uh, issues, when it comes to gay marriage, and and all of that. They try to. You know, paint a picture that the conservatives are like the Republican and what the crazy things you're seeing right now in the US, you know, can happen in Canada. But I don't believe that it's going to work because it's a it's a stretch. I mean, come on to to say that Pierre Poitier and the liberals, they have tried that, but I don't think that it was effective. They tried to say that that's Trumpist policies and things like this, but I don't think that. Canadians see it that way. I mean, you cannot compare uh, Pierre Poilievre to Donald Trump. I don't think there's this comparison. Look, when you look at the past and let's be honest, uh, Andrew Scheer lost the election also in the East because of his personal uh, uh, beliefs when it comes to abortion. And that was true and that's why, you know, that was that was difficult. On the other hand, uh, Aaron O'Toole didn't have that the same issue. But still didn't win. But now I think that after eight years of government and I come again to the to the to the fact that I believe the case is to be is to make an election for change, the Conservative and Pierre Poliev, they have some chan- chance to, to, to be in power. But yes, the Liberals will try to use any opportunity as they've done in the past to bring debates on terms of social issues in Canada and trying to make a link between what's happening the craziness in the US with what's happening in Canada. But The truth is that the Conservative Party of Canada, we come from the British stories. And I say that's the history. It's not a link with the Re- U.S. Republicans. Mm. It's uh, It's it, where they are more linked to uh, U.K. politics than American Republican, especially the Re- Republican Party of uh, uh, in the U.S. right now, which is uh, all, all the issues that is going on. So I think that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to scare Canadians and say, "Look, it's going to be a black hole if, if the conservatives come back. They're going to cut and austerity and all of that." But I do believe that. It's it's gonna be it's it's gonna be difficult to put that uh, that labeling on on uh, on 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 Pierre Polyev. Look even. In 2011, I remember uh, I was part of that election. You know, the liberals were saying hidden agenda. That was always their thing. You know, Mm. don't trust the conservative. If you give them a majority government, they have a hidden agenda. And nothing happened between 2011 and 2015 when it comes to gay rights, abortion, or or any of those issues. So there's a track record when it comes to a majority conservative government, and nothing uh, happened when it comes to social issue. But look, it's part of it's part of their game plan, and for sure they'll try.
0: You know, a key right now uh, that uh, I want to, I want to leave the liberals and conservatives. I want to talk a little bit about the NDP. The NDP is the, the new democratic party and they're pretty much holding the key right now because since the election in 2021, Justin Trudeau got a minority government. He managed to make this alliance with the NDP where they would collaborate on certain issues, for example, passing a budget just so that the government won't fail and, you know, be launched into another election. And I, I I'm not sure I understand. I mean, I understand it from the liberal perspective because they can eat their lunch completely. But from the NDP perspective, what exactly is is the strategy over there? Because you have Jagmeet Singh, who is the leader of the of the of the NDP, who has himself lost a little credibility as well because everything that's been happening right now and everything that he's using to criticize the government well he's been a partner of so I don't understand how this is going to evolve especially as we approach elections I don't know how long this alliance is going to last to begin with I don't think Justin Trudeau wants to go in elections right now so I think he'd probably want to stretch it as, as much as possible until 2025 but at the same time, if you're in the NDP, you're thinking, do we want to reach 2025? Because then we're in trouble. I mean, we maintain this government all the way until the elections. How can we kind of criticize them during the debates or whatever, during the entire election? So at some point, aren't they going to look to sort of break away from it? Are, do they have that luxury of breaking away from it? Are they prepared to make that move and go into an election? There's a lot of question marks on, uh, on the side of the NDP.
1: Look, I, I know this this ballot this this podcast is called strategy. I do believe that the NDP's move was the the worst strategy ever because talking about giving away all your leverage. The rule of a minority government is that you need to find at least
0: one party who's able to support you. And yes, yeah. sorry, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to interrupt you because do you do you think that there was ever going to be a situation where the NDP would have ever gotten any of their Uh, programs approved. Yes,
1: yeah, because at least, you know, you can fight every day. I mean, it's not, by signing a deal, you sign over power in a way because there's no way after the NDP can rip the the document Mm. and say, okay, I'm going to challenge you now. But if you go piece by piece, legislation by legislation and saying, I need this now, I'm not voting for that. And, you know, having the fear of an election or just, you know, uh, of having that, that leverage, they basically, the NDP gave away their leverage, and mm. that leverage is what's part of the parliamentary system, right. and that's why we don't have coalition government. We don't have a tradition of coalition government. We have a tradition of minority government that you at least find one partner. Sometimes it can be conservative, sometimes it can be the bloc, and some, sometimes it can be the NDP, and that that's how you normally govern under minority government. And exactly like you said, so now the NDP basically cannot take credit for any of the action of the government, even if it if it comes from their own platform, mm-hmm. because Justin Trudeau just said, "Hey, I'm the one who did it. And I announced it. I'm the one who cut the ribbon." And the NDP doesn't have the manpower, doesn't have the finance to go into an election, mm. and even the polls are not. In their forward, favor. Not uh, yeah. in their favor. So at the end, it's a lose-lose for them. I don't see a way that they can survive this in terms of the next election because they cannot they cannot s- take credit for any of the action. As you j- rightly said, they look like their dancing partner. How can Jack Meet Singh, the leader of the NDP, can stand up in the House of Commons and criticize the government on housing, on inflation, or the cost of of, of groceries, when actually it's because of them that mm. they are still in power. It's right. w- it lacks credibility, and I think that they're going to pay dearly for that because it's just taking. They they took their leverage away, and it was voluntary. There was no, you know, there was no crisis or anything. Yes, they were afraid of the convoy at the time, but it could have been a piecemeal, like one time at a time, instead of of saying yes, and 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 that's a blanket agreement.
0: So obviously, and we've seen situations where you know things change so drastically in politics. If we're heading into the um, uh, if we're heading into the um, uh, the next election, of course, assuming from what you just said that the NDP is probably going to hold on to that agreement as much as they could because they're obviously not prepared to to to, to launch a, a new campaign. Anything can happen from today where they're both tanking in the polls maybe not tanking but at least they're not they're not doing as they wish they were until 2025 anything obviously can change how do you see this happening um do you see an election sooner than later do you see them taking it stretching it all the way to 2025 uh and does Justin Trudeau stand a chance on bringing bringing his troops back and, and i'll just remind everyone that in the 2021 elections and i remember because i was doing the podcast and i was interviewing a lot of candidates at that time there was a period uh towards the end of august because the election i think happened in, uh, in october if i'm not mistaken yeah. towards the end of august i believe or early september, september the conservatives yeah. were actually ahead uh, uh, of the liberal partisan, and naturally i don't know what happened but uh, the, the, it was such a in quick change in um, in uh, in uh, in voter preference that Justin Trudeau maintained the power. So maybe something this could happen again. I don't know. Uh, it just seems to me that Pierre Poilèvre, the leader of the Conservative Party, has found himself a niche where he's talking about things that actually people can relate to: affordable housing, bigger paychecks, um, the you know the, the respect of rights and freedoms because of these laws that we spoke about. I don't know if it's going to be easy for Justin Trudeau to turn things around could be possible i don't know i just want to pick your brain a little bit see how you see this uh, unfolding
1: look first of all y- I think that we have to point out that I talked uh, about the brand of Justin Trudeau, but there's also a problem with the liberal brand in Canada because when you look at all the provincial elections, for example, yeah. the liberals are not doing well also at the provincial le- uh, level. Even in British Columbia, they took away their name. It was used mm. to be called Liberal yes. Party. They changed to BC United, for example. Yeah. We just had an election in Manitoba this last week, and there's only one MP, uh, MPP left They had three, so I think that there's a problem of the liberal brand Mm. in Canada when it comes to the liberal brand because people don't know actually now what it means to be liberal. It means everything and it means nothing at the same time. It means you spend a lot but you don't, you know, you spend on everything and a lot but you don't know exactly where it's going. Mm. So I think that, that that's a problem that the liberals need to fix in terms of what do they stand for? What are their priorities? Because when you have too much priorities you don't have any priorities right. and that's that's a big issue and even if the liberals are announcing billions in, in one program or the other there's also the credibility effect and right Right now, people don't have a lot of trust in terms of even if the prime minister announces, I don't know how many housing or how many billions for housing. I don't think that, you know, he's getting the message out because people are saying it's not going to work. So look, if 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 the question, I don't believe there's going to be an election in 2023. I don't believe that there's going to be an election also in 2024. <laughs> I, it all depends on inflation i believe i i do believe that the the economy what are you know if if the economy is going to get better in 2024 maybe there will be a window for for the liberals to to have an election but otherwise as i said in 2025 it will be like 10 years of the Justin Trudeau and 10 years is a long time in politics. So it's going to be very difficult. Also, there's no renewal also in the Liberal Party. It's mm. always, the, it's the same faces. You know, it's the same ministers. Yes, they, they did a big cabinet shuffle uh, in, in summer. It didn't have any effect, mm. not even media-wise. Yeah. People are saying, look, you changed all your ministers. You you did, I don't know, 20 or 15 uh, uh, change in, seat in terms of, of portfolios, but it didn't have, you know, any... I um. Deliverables yeah. after that. So look, it's it's they're in a tough spot, but you should never underestimate the liberals. They've been able, as you said, look, nobody expected them in 2015 to come from the
0: third place to the first place.
1: And Justin Trudeau,
0: even as a backbencher before, yeah. to jump to the prime minister seat.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no previous experience as a minister or anything, just from uh, an MP directly to prime minister. Yeah. Uh, but again, it will it will depend. I think on the economy, uh, it will depend also. On on what's happening on the world stage. Uh, I hope that the situation is going to get better, but I don't believe it will uh, in terms of crises that are still ongoing. But yeah, uh, we're lining up for a a 2025 election at, at this moment, I would say.
0: It'll be interesting to see exactly how things uh, evolve. Uh, we can talk for hours, uh, Rudy, honestly. Uh, we can go on the entire day if we had to. Uh, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. It was a long time and it's good to see you, first of all, in person. Yeah, thank uh, you. I'm used to seeing you now on TV or listening to you on the radio, but to have you uh, here in front of me, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's, uh, it's very refreshing. Uh, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for supporting. Uh, do me a favor and head on over to strategyinternational.org to check out the wonderful things that are happening over there. Subscribe to all the uh, social media platforms as well as the YouTube channel. Uh, And thank you all for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode. Rudy, thanks again for coming, man. I appreciate it.
1: No, my pleasure, George. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Strategy International podcast. Produced by PodMTL for Strategy International. Feel free to subscribe rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. This podcast is made for Strategy International Limited Cyprus. All copyrights reserved, this podcast, audio or audiovisual, may not be reproduced, duplicated, copied, sold, resold, visited, or otherwise exploited for any commercial scientific educational purpose without the written consent of Strategy International Limited and its legal representative.